All right, guys, we want to bring up another sponsor of ours. It is Kelsey Picker Realtor with Keller Williams Coastal Area Partners. And if you need to buy or sell property anywhere in the United States, go to kelseypicker.kw.com. And her information will be at the bottom of that page or reach out to us at any of our social media pages or our email. And we will be happy to put you in touch. <laughs> Who's that coming down the track? Who's that coming down the track? It's a mean machine and red and black. It's a mean machine and red and black. What's up, y'all? This is John and Mike back for the pre-day, pre-G-day episode. If I'm stumbling over my words, it's going to be a long day <laughs> um, of the Nothing Finer podcast. And we are once again joined by Candler Cook to talk with us about the upcoming spring game. How are y'all doing? And uh, are y'all drinking anything tonight? Yeah, appreciate you having me on. Doing well. Uh, just water tonight. <laughs> yeah, you, I'm going to have to go water in a second here. <laughs> what about well, you? I, because I'm going back to Austin this week, I've got my still Austin distillery only release single barrel. And if you are not into, uh, not into whiskey, let me tell you how ridiculous these tasting notes can be. It's supposed to smell like cherry cobbler, wintergreen mint, and Rocky Road ice cream. It's supposed to taste like blueberry pancakes with maple syrup, salted nuts, and s'mores. And then the finish is supposed to be blackberry bramble and Douglas fir tree forest. That is a whole lot of flavors going on. Good for them. I've I've mouth. never tasted anything like I've I mean in whiskey I've tasted wintergreen mint. Um I've tasted maple, tasted nuts, like peanut. Yeah. But this other stuff I ain't never gotten before. So just slightly ridiculous. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Let us know how it is. Yeah, definitely. Oh, it's good. But as of right now, still Austin is not even sold in the state of Georgia. So, I will say before we, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I'll say, I will say before we get like kind of into it, um, my, uh, my cousin works for a uh, uh, distillery in uh, Detroit. My mom brought me down a bottle of, uh, like for, uh, for Fat Tuesday, they had, they had a, a punch key day, like edition of like vodka. Usually I'm not a vodka person. And everybody said, oh, it's good and good. I, I can't drink it straight up. Like, it just brings back too many memories, um, just like <laughs> vodka in general. So, like, I was going to have that, um, but I have, I have to mix it with something because I can't do it straight up at all. And I'm disappointed. <laughs> but he does good work. Promise. Yeah, I haven't been able to drink anything vodka since college. So... <laughs> yeah, I almost That's died. True. Almost died with that. I can't. I can't do it. Just the smell. <laughs> Thought. Just seeing the word vodka makes me gag. Like rubbing alcohol. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So bad. All right, guys. We do have a lot to get into, so we're just going to jump right into it. Um, and so a little bit about the background of G Day itself, because I know we do have some listeners that are relatively new to college football. Um, So this is the spring scrimmage game where the first string offense plays the first string defense. 
second string offense plays second string defense. Um, this is the this is an opportunity for the coaching staff to see player development in the spring because they do have 15 practices or three weeks. Um, and this is a huge opportunity for guys that didn't play much in the past season, early enrollees from the new class. And with the current state of college football, that includes transfer players. Um, and then as far as tickets for this game, they used to be free, but now it's $5 a person. But there are almost always former players on the field willing to come over to the hedges and sign autographs. Um, the year after Stafford graduated, funny enough, he refused to sign my hat. So I was a Stafford hater for a long time because he was standing arm's length from the hedges, acknowledged us, said, hey. And then when I said, hey, can I get an autograph? He just turned around and walked off. So come around. I'm not a Stafford hater anymore. But for like a decade, he was dead. That's your, like, your villain, it's like your villain origin story. Yeah, no, it was. I was a Stafford hater, and I'm not even going to try and deny it. I was. So we're going to jump right in on the defense here. Um, new guys, open position battles, uh, what we'd like to see, who we think is going to start, all that kind of stuff. We're going to start off with safety, and there's one safety spot that's wide open and a bunch of uber-talented guys that are trying to take the job. As we all know from last season, Malachi Starks has cemented himself not only as a starter, but as an elite SEC safety for the 2023 season and beyond. So the challengers, we've got former West Virginia third-team All-American Tyke Smith, who we're going to mention quite a bit tonight. He has practiced at multiple positions in the defensive backfield. He's the Swiss Army knife of the defensive backfield. You've got Janelle Aguero, former five-star, number three safety in the class. He is a true freshman. Um, David Daniel Sisova, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, which I'm probably not, who stepped up in spots last year for injuries and that sort of thing. And then fan favorite, Dan Jackson, who, by the research I did, is somehow still not on scholarship. But um, but he Dan Jackson is still recovering from the uh, stress fracture that he ended up getting last season that he needed surgery on. So out of all of those guys, what do y'all want to see on Saturday? And then who would you pencil in for the starter come the season. And then if you want to get into it, we can talk about who would be that extra guy that comes in in the dime package. And we'll start with Candler. Yeah. So when you look at this, a lot of the times we're now using a version of three safeties on the field. Um, Cause you know, back when I was playing, and especially before then, you typically have two, maybe three wide receivers on the field. Now three to four is about the average. Um, and so you really may see two safeties and a star out there. So there may be possible to get three of these guys in the field. I think, you know, Malachi Starks, like you mentioned, he has a spot locked down, which is saying a lot considering the talent surrounding him. Um, I am very excited to see Tyke Smith um, at both the G-Day and hearing about him through camp in this fall. It's not often that you have um, a guy who's already been a not preseason, but postseason, all-American on the team 
And the fact that he's not penciled in as an automatic starter is a testament to the depth of the defense. Um, I'm sure we'll see David Daniel. Georgia does rotate in at the safety spot, and we even did that some last year. And I think Dan Jackson's done too good of a job to keep him off the field. So I wouldn't be surprised to see three of those guys on the field for maybe even the majority of the snaps. Um, I think everyone, we know what we have with Dan Jackson. Um, he's proven as a bulldog. I know Tyke Smith has a lot of experience, but not really in Georgia's system yet. Um, but Dan was really an impact player on that 2021 national championship season from blocking punts to throwing the final block to spring yeah. Ringo on that interception return. So I, I would expect to see a lot of both Tyke Smith and Dan Jackson on the field. Um, but I still think Aguero will get some reps. I think David Daniel will get a good amount of reps. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see us um, rotate those guys in because there's several that are just too talented to keep off the field. Yeah, and I, I mean, I pretty much agree with everything Handler said there. Uh, Tyke Smith, I mean, once the season starts, he'll be, what, about a year and a half removed from uh, his ACL tear that kind of derailed his uh, his first season in Athens. Um, and, he, and even in, you know, backup duty and, you know, when he was out there, he played really well. Um, but, I mean, all of these guys are going to get, especially, you know, most of the, the uh, early season games, most of these guys are going to get a ton of playing time uh, in different spots. I mean, depending on – it's going to obviously be spread out, but, I mean, they're all going to see the field quite a bit um, in, you know, various packages and all that. Yeah, no, I'm – as far as this goes, I think, man, all these guys have played so much, and then Janelle Aguero is such a highly rated guy. And I think a big thing that's going to factor into how much they rotate is each of the last three seasons, one of the starting safeties has gone down with a serious injury and had to have the backup come in. So if they're able to rotate more in that defensive backfield this season, I think it'll help cut down on the injuries and you'll have all these guys finishing the season healthy, which is hasn't really happened in the last three seasons. So that's, you know, always recruiting. And one of those things that have come up because of the depth that George has had is the fact like in, in, in the 2021 national championship, it kind of came up that, well, I'll, Alabama guys were going down like obviously they have depth but um you know as the season went on Georgia's team got healthier and that's a testament to you know the recruiting obviously and you know everybody's seen the field how it, it, it didn't seem to you know impact the team all that much so um you know if, it, uh, you know obviously you don't want to wish like, any injuries or anybody like that but I mean we're definitely fortunate to have the the depth that we have where it it's not going to you know cripple us if something were to happen and you know you know, at G day or in, you know, in fall camp or anything like that. So um, we're definitely lucky. Uh, secondary is definitely a, a strong suit for them. We're definitely looking forward to seeing how that plays out. Yeah. If you have an injury in the safety position, you have either a third team, all American, a five-star, a guy that made phenomenal plays last year and a guy that helped win the 2021 national championship as potential backups. That's, no bad choices. Nope. Agreed. All right. So moving on to corner and Kamari Lassiter is returning for the dogs this season. But as we all know by now, Keely Ringo is off to the NFL and potentially a first round pick, leaving a spot open on the outside. 
Um, the biggest names you're hearing for this position are Nylon Green, Dalen Everett. Both of those guys took a good bit of snaps last season. Um, again, Tyke Smith, just because of how good he is at pretty much every defensive backfield position. And then former five-star and Texas A&M transfer, Smoke Bowie. Once again, we'll start with Candler on what do you want to see and who do you think wins? Well, in terms of what you want to see, you want to see a lot of competition um, between these guys. I think there's a lot of talent here as well. Nylon Green and Dalen Everett have both shown flashes. I think Tyke Smith's going to get more reps at a true safety in a star position than out wide as a corner. He, he kind of reminds me of someone who's almost built like a slot receiver, and so I think he's much more impactful covering guys in the slot. I actually think Smoke Bowie is going to win the starting job and hold that down for the majority of the reps um, lost amid a terrible season for AM. They were number one in America in terms of fewest passing yards given up last year. And he was a good part of that. Um, there really weren't that many targets thrown his way when he was on the field um, compared to some of the other guys. So I think he's actually going to be a, quite a strong acquisition for Georgia from the transfer portal. Mike? Yeah, I mean, I, again, I, don't, I won't add too much to that. Um... But Smoke Bowie, like, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing how, like, what he brings to the table. Because, I mean, he, you know, he was definitely noticeable on, uh, it was pretty good Texas A&M defense last year. Obviously, the offense didn't hold up their end of the bargain. But um, that's who I'd like to see, Lasseter and, uh, and Bowie out there. But, again, just like we talked about with the recruiting and all that, there's no, is there really a wrong option? Is there going to be some something that anybody would get truly upset about? I don't think so. But. That's what I'd like to see. Yeah, I mean, I'm in the same position as you guys on uh, on thinking Smoke Bowie's going to end up winning it. And for me, a big part of it is everything I've read about him coming through spring camp is that he is one of the best guys in, in the SEC on press man coverage. And with how offenses in the East are run right now, press man coverage is huge. And then being able to catch up to guys, and he has both of those skills. So I think we're all in agreement that uh, that we're going to see Smoke Bowie out there on the defense. Mm-hmm. All right, moving on to the edge, outside linebacker. It's – I don't even know exactly what they call it. On the roster, it's outside linebacker. It's called edge in the NFL. It's, it's your Nolan Smith, Robert Beal position. Um. So speaking of Nolan Smith, we obviously the team's losing him to the NFL this season. Um, Chaz Chambliss stepped up in his spot and got better with everything, every single snap. But the 2021 team sack leader, Robert Beal, is also headed to the NFL, leaving both of those spots open. Um, So with rotation, George uses absolutely Chaz Chambliss has earned that starting spot but there's probably going to be three or four guys expected to get significant playing time. Um, and the contender for these snaps from what I've heard is Xavier Sori, Marvin Jones, Jr. Darius Smith. Um, and if you don't remember that name, go back and watch that Ohio state kick and number 19 that hit his head on the roof from Mercedes Benz that would have blocked it. If it was an accurate kick, that's, that's Darius Smith. Um, and then Jalen Walker is listed as an out inside linebacker, 
but he played a lot outside and I've heard the coaching staff also refer to him as someone who can fill that Channing Tindall type role. Um, and then, you know, obviously we've got the phenomenal true freshman Samuel Mpimba and Damon Wilson coming in. So uh, same questions. We'll start with Candler again. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll let Mike um, give his player breakdown before me. So I don't steal the thunder on all these, but I will say in general, this is going to be an important position, probably the least solidified position on Georgia's roster for next fall. And this is also the position that we are going to learn the least about on G-Day. And I know that may be a disappointing answer, but as a guy who kind of played that edge role before at Georgia, you're looking at guys that are they're still pass rushing, but they're all slowing up because you cannot put hands on the quarterback. You can barely tag off, but you better be going very, very slowly when you do that. You're not shoving the quarterback. And so a guy that normally would push a little harder and would maybe even pile drive an offensive lineman over a quarterback, you'll see none of that in the spring game. And so I think this one will still be a good position group for Georgia, but I think this will remain a mystery until the season starts. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, there's no reason to give away uh, too much to us. Obviously, as Georgia fans and, and all that, we want to, you know, 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 know what to expect going into this season. But um, everything that I've heard and read, uh, you know, since spring camp is, uh, is open, Xavier Sorley um, has been playing well. I mean, he he's shown that potential uh, to step in uh, for Nolan Smith. And, I mean, obviously, you know, you, mean, you have that out here in the uh, – an outline. Marvin Jones Jr. Uh, came on late uh, last year as well. So I'm looking at at those two guys as the primary ones. Yeah, I agree. I And I think you make a great point. Jalen Walker, to me, is an edge player. They, they may yeah. call him an inside linebacker, but his snaps will, will come at edge and the impact he makes on the team will come at edge. So I think he's going to be a force to be reckoned with. And I think Jones, Marvin Jones Jr. is going to have a very strong season as well. Um, but also Chaz Chambliss. I mean, you really can't keep him off the field. So um, I think they'll rotate a lot like they have the last few years here. And, and kind of piggybacking what you said about Jalen Walker, I mean, just going back to the national championship game, I mean, he was in the – like when he was on the field, I mean, he was in the backfield continuously. So that's – you know, obviously that's promising for, uh, for 2023. Yeah, so uh... – I'm I'm sure I've said it on the show a hundred times by now, but I will actually be at a concert on Saturday and not watching the game live. So when I go back to watch it, biggest things I'm going to be looking for in the edge position are first step explosion. Who can get up and get back in the field the fastest. And then secondary to that is who can cover the best in space, who has the fluid hips, the footwork to cover the tight ends, if you can cover Georgia's tight ends, it still has not been proven that it's possible. Um, and that sort of thing. And Darius Smith is great as all these other guys are as proven on the field as they are. Darius Smith was injured for most of the season last year. And the one game that we actually saw him play, he had what looked like a 70 inch vertical block, trying to block that field goal. So, I mean, that's the sort of explosiveness that like a third down guaranteed passing situation. Like I would not be surprised to see Darius Smith on the field with what he has shown in the very few snaps he was able to get. And uh, so we're moving on to another position group that rotates a ton, and that's the defensive line. 
Um, so we're not necessarily going to talk about specific players that are going to get, get playing time because most at this point, I would say Georgia's got a rotation of seven or eight guys on the defensive line to get playing time. Um, we're going to talk about some of the newer guys and what what we're looking out for out of them. Um, obviously, sophomore Bear Alexander. I would have Michael Williams on this list, but he is out for the spring. Um, and then we've got our guy, friend of the show, Big Jaw Jarrett, Jordan Hall, and then Christian Miller. So whoever wants to take this part first. Um, yeah, I think. I can, oh, sorry. You yeah, go, you go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> no, All you're right. good. Go. Well, yeah. So I, I think this is going to be an interesting group because there are not many, you know, all-star type talents that are known to everyone yet. I think Georgia fans and probably TCU fans know Bear Alexander well. Um, but nationally, he's not receiving the kind of attention that um, that you'd expect just yet. Obviously, he's very young. Um, so I think this is going to be kind of a, a strength of the team, but that's really by committee. And that's how a lot of Georgia's interior D linemen have been, with the exception of Jordan Davis. Um, even Trayvon Walker, he, he didn't really come on until the end of that last season. So a lot of the times, especially the guys that are playing the three and the five technique, they're names that a lot of fans may not know, but they play an important role and they're doing it well. So I think Bear Alexander is going to basically be the next Jordan Davis for Georgia. I think he's already showed um, just immense talent. And for what I'm looking for, some of these guys, Ja Jarrett and Jordan Hall, um, really just to see what kind of motor they have. Like, do they play hard every snap? Can they continue to pursue the quarterback like we saw against Ohio State? And even go back to the year before that um, in the national championship against um, Bryce Young in Alabama, a lot of these quarterbacks are slippery. They're great at getting out of a grasp. There are a bunch of times that in both those games, we still had a four sacks apiece, which is great. Both It looked like we could have had eight sacks. And so I'm interested to see, does a backside DN continue to hustle when the quarterback starts to roll out away from him? And then maybe that quarterback turns around to get away from pressure. And if a guy continues, the quarterback may run right into him for a sack. So I'm very interested to see that kind of effort and how these guys play. Um, so, I mean, Bear, Bear Alexander came on again, strong, especially the second half of the season, again, national championship. I think he had two sacks or at least, at least one. Um, but John Jarrett's the one that I'm looking forward to seeing the most. Um, like you mentioned, uh, John, like you saw him, I think you saw him, you said you saw him at, uh, at a game last year or G day last year. Yeah. Tennessee game. We, uh, oh, we met up for a second at the Tennessee game. Yeah. I mean, he's, you know, from Charlotte, just like Jordan Davis. I mean, he, he looks like as close to a clone as you can get. And obviously we know what, what that, uh, what that turned into, uh, for Georgia during his, uh, during, uh, Jordan Davis's time, uh, in Athens. I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully, you know, maybe slim down a little bit and see what his uh, conditioning is. Um, obviously coming in, you know, from high school, it's not going to be the same as, you know, even someone like Bear Alexander that's been in for a little bit. Um, but, and I meant to say this with everybody else, I I'm really in for every position group. It's like, who's going to be, the most level head and who's going to make the least amount of mistakes. Who's not going to be overwhelmed by, you know, the situation. So like, it's not going to be 90,000 people there by any means because the construction is going to be what, like 54,000, but it's still going to be probably the biggest crowd that any of them have played in front of before, assuming that it sells, sells out or get, or, you know, gets close to selling out. So who can, who can handle the lights, you know, as it's getting darker, especially since it's a four o'clock, uh, four o'clock kick. Um, but that that will be interesting to see, uh, for sure. But going back to the original question, Ja is the one that I'm looking forward to most. 
Yeah, and I think that's actually why they made the tickets $5 was because they know they're going to have to cap the supply at far less than they normally would. Mm-hmm. And not that every spring game is a sellout, but there's typically more than 54,000 people there, yeah. at least the last few years under Kirby. And so obviously it's not an expensive ticket, but they need to do something to try to keep it to where, you know, they, they give people the chance, but it, keep it somewhat below capacity. But I'm looking forward to seeing these new renovations. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's important to continue to invest in the game to experience Georgia and the rest of the SEC really haven't seen much attendance decline like some other conferences have, but you want to stay out in front of that and not wait until it's too late and then start investing in the fan experience. Especially looking at the, like some of these spring, I mean, there hasn't been like too many spring games yet, but like I forgot about the Michigan spring game. It looks like they had about 3000 people there. Granted the weather is usually crappy at that point, but, but I mean, yeah, Georgia and the rest of the SEC definitely do a good job. Um, keeping up with the game day experience. That's something I'm, I'm definitely proud of. Yeah, I mean, as far as renovations go, I, I may have said it on the show before. I think I did. We entered the stadium for the Tennessee game over on the, the side that they're doing construction on. We entered the stadium by the scoreboard. By the, It took us an hour to walk end zone to end zone in that mezzanine that they're widening because there were so many people trying to get through that there wasn't room to actually walk. Um, So I definitely think that the crowd for the bigger games is why they've decided to expand it when they have, because there, I mean, there was people that legitimately missed kickoff because they were just trying to walk through the stadium to their seats. We almost did. Like we, they were probably less than a minute after we got to our seats is when the game kicked off. So it was, mm-hmm. yeah, no, it was cut it, cut it by the skin of our teeth, but no, I, I, I mean, if you've listened to the show for a while, you know how big of a fan we are of a uh, big jaw over on the defensive line, number 55 this season. And I can tell you that based on the limited conversations that we've had, he has been putting in a ton of extra time working on his conditioning um, I mean, we were, he was supposed to come on the show a few months ago, but as soon as he got on the campus, he was working out hard every day, extra hours, putting that time in. Um, so my big thing for, you know, everybody that's playing on the interior, because, you know, obviously they're not going to be able to rush the quarterback a lot in the spring game is, are they able to take on the same kind of blocks that we saw Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter take on? And I'm not, I'm not expecting any of these guys to be, you know, first round talent freshman year, but are they able to, you know, either throw off one guy or, you know, stuff two guys so that the linebackers can do their job? Cause that's one of the reasons that the run defense has been so solid over the last few years is your, your defensive linemen are eating up one to two blocks and your inside linebackers are able to fly around and make plays instead of trying to get some, you know, 320 pound guard off of them. So that's that's kind of one of the big things I'm looking for. And I hope, you know, not just for our sake, but just the kind of competitor that they all are. But I really hope that Jaw finds a good bit of playing time this season because I'd love to see him on the field. And his hand is the size of normal p- humans' heads, like their entire skull. So that that should be good. Yeah. <laughs> So we're going to move on to the offensive side of the ball. And I know we kind of skipped the slot 
you know, whether you call it a slot safety, slot corner, star defender, there's a million names for it. Um, but Georgia's got the best one in the country right now in Javon Bullard, and I I don't see anybody capable of taking his job. So we're just kind of glossing over that one. So moving yeah, on. No, he does a great job there. Agreed. And at the back end safety. You could put him anywhere, but he has to be on the field. Yeah. Yeah, especially after you know, those last two games. Oh, my God. Like, I can't – I mean – if somebody supplements him or supplants him, uh, <laughs> that would be it's useful. Heisman contender in the defensive yeah, back. Be. If yeah. you're better than Javon Bullard, you are a top four finalist in the Heisman. Mm-hmm. Um, moving on over to the offensive side of the ball, and we are going to start at a position that we covered quite a bit last week, and that is left tackle. So you know, still reading up on it, doing doing all the research I can for like the five words that Kirby lets out of camp. It's still down to Austin Blasky and Ernest Green for that left tackle spot. Um, to what are you guys looking to see from them in the scrimmage going against uh, the great Georgia defensive line? And then I – I think with how tight this battle is said to be, we'll probably have to wait until after G-Day and even potentially into August before we talk about who we think is going to be the starter. But if you guys have an idea, I'm all ears because I want to hear it. Yeah, it's a very important position. I mean, one of the most important on the offense. G-Day under Kirby has always been very pass happy. I don't think it always um, mirrors the way that Georgia's offense looks because there's some years where we've been a little more run happy in the fall, but we'll still air it out, you know, 40 times per team and only run it 10 times per team on G day. So I think we're going to see a lot more chances for pass blocking than we're going to see for run blocking. Um, I'm interested to see, especially as camp goes on this fall and, and somewhat in G day too, is Ernest green ready? He's a guy that looks to be more like a prototypical left tackle, whereas I know Kirby's described Austin Blasky as a Swiss Army knife. Um, I think Austin is is great and probably could be a great left tackle for us, but I think they kind of like him as a utility guy. Um, you look at you know, some of the different guys that we've had. Um, I, I think of Devin Willick really last year. I mean, he technically wasn't a starter. He subbed in on so many different positions because those alignment, like all other positions, they get tired. They need someone to spell them. And I think that ideally that's the role that Austin Blasky will fill and Ernest Green will develop into left tackle that a lot of people think he can be. He's still young. So I'm interested to see just, is he ready? Um, it, because if that answer is no, Kirby's not going to throw him out there to the wolves at left tackle. And we'll have Blasky starting off um, the season at left tackle. But if not, I think maybe the ideal situation would be allowing Blasky to fill in at, at any role whenever someone's tired or injured. Yeah, I was going to say like, pretty much the same thing. Um, if you're going back to the uh, all the interviews at the uh, NFL draft combine or the NFL combine, um, all these guys said that Ernest Green was going to be like that next guy up. Um, obviously, he didn't play a ton last year being a redshirt freshman or redshirted last, you know, last year, but. And he was um, injured. He got injured yeah. in fall camp. Yeah. 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 So like seeing, like you said, uh, Candler, like seeing if he, you know, is, is, you know, ready for that spot, like how he handles, you know, someone like Ja or, you know, Bear Alexander or something like that, if they're, you know, coming, you know, over toward, uh, you know, his direction. Um, but uh, Austin there, like, you know, again, like you mentioned, 
I mean, Kirby does definitely values guys that have uh, versatility on the offensive line. I mean, he Kirby's shown no no fear in in moving guys around like as needed, um, especially in you know in the biggest games. So having having that Swiss Army knife that that you guys were talking about is will be will be interesting for sure. So I mean, I feel good either way. I mean, I prefer Ernest Green to be in that spot and you know just show out, um, you know, as, you know as much as he can in what's likely going to be a lot more, you know, passing situations like, like y'all mentioned um, on Saturday. Yeah. I, so if you didn't listen to last week's episode, last week's episode, and you just listened to us when Candler comes on, which I can't blame you, but yeah, definitely. (laughs) Um, So Austin Blasky was the, he put on a tight end Jersey for, jumbo short short yardage situations last season he was the backup center last season he filled in at guard in these blowout games I mean Austin Blasky like you guys said that absolute Swiss army knife and then Ernest Green from what I had heard of from fall camp last year and once again Kirby has that thing locked down tighter than Fort Knox so it's very difficult to get any sort of information out of camp that he doesn't want out but Last season, as a freshman, they were talking about just how good Ernest Green was and how he was performing close to Broderick Jones last season. And just once again, Broderick Jones played 15 games, one of the tougher schedules at the end of the season in the entire country and allowed zero sacks. So that's impressive in itself. Um, I would like to see Ernest Green, but, you know, like you guys are saying, it's it's all about being mentally ready more than it is physically when it comes to that left tackle position. Yeah, so going to tight ends, I know most people are like, what are you talking about? We don't need to talk about tight ends. Brock Bowers, 12 personnel, right? One running back, two tight ends. Georgia runs probably more than that in almost any team in the country. So Brock Bowers, obviously the best tight end in college football last season, season before, probably this season. Um, And the way his career has gone, he will probably be regarded as the best tight end in college football history when he leaves. Mm-hmm. I I think it would be really tough to make an argument that it's someone else. But like we said, two tight ends on the field. And last season, Darnell Washington, while he didn't catch near as many passes, his role was equally important to the offense because he was essentially that extra offensive tackle on the field, able to block anybody, everybody, and two people a lot of times. So you're looking for a guy that can do both of those things like Darnell did. Um, So for that list of guys, we have Oscar Delt, and he played a good bit last season when Darnell was banged up. He did great in pass-catching situations. Um, As a young guy, it's hard hard to uh, ask him to block like Darnell did. But we've also got two absolute studs at tight end coming in Athens this season. They both enrolled early, and that is Lawson Lucky and Pierce Sperlin. And in high school, Lawson was much more of a blocker than Pierce Sperlin was. Um, but Brock's blocking has improved, but that takes him out of the pass catching situation. So it's like catch 22 in all of these. Um so what do you guys want to see from the uh from the young guns out here playing tight end? 
Yeah, I'm interested to see this position group develop. I'm a huge Oscar Delp fan. Um, I think he could be the next great Georgia tight end. And having multiple tight end threats will will really help the team a lot. It will make it to where people can't key in on Bowers as much. And if they do, they're going to get burned because of it. Um, so I'm interested to see how this evolves. Um, I, I think that Pierce Sperlin could be a huge weapon. We like to use tight ends out in space as kind of a modified slot receiver. Um, but I, this is going to be a very fun position group to just sit back and watch develop. Because I remember a year ago now, everyone could not wait to see Eric Gilbert just tear it up on, and torch these teams. And, and you know, he just, for whatever reason, couldn't get his head right and really barely even played. And we didn't miss him one bit. Um, you know, the other three guys were so great. I, I was a huge Darnell Washington fan. And like you mentioned, he had a pretty thankless role. He's blocking most of the time. He's an extra O-lineman. And I know um, in the fourth quarter against Missouri, he actually went up to Kirby and said, if we want to win this game, you run the ball behind me. And um, that was what we did when it was on the line. We really didn't throw too much. Um, and anyway, so I, I think Oscar Delp is interesting. He's built more along the mold, though, of Brock Bowers. So I don't know if we have quite as physical of a tight end as we have before, but that's okay. Um, sometimes, you know, the best blocker on offense is no blocker. And what I mean by that is instead of having a tight end in close and loading the box, especially if you're in wide open down and distance, just split them out as a slot receiver, just spread the defense out more. It's tougher for them to load the box. If they do, they're going to pay for it. Now that can be different um, when you're talking short yardage and goal line. Um, but then, like you mentioned, you know, we've got our, our Swiss Army knife, Austin Blasky, that can come in as a tight end if needed. Um, but I think Lawson Lucky will also get a lot of reps in those short yardage blocking situations. So to me, we've got a tight end with just about every skill set on this year's team. And I think it's going to be really fun to watch how we use them. Yeah, I, so like all, all I'll add to that is I'm, I'm interested to see how the tight ends are used differently um, you know, going away from Todd Munkin and going to uh, Mike Bobo. Um, you know, obviously, like a lot of the same principles that you would think would remain in place is obviously, I mean, back to back national championships. You know, you want to keep, you know, the you know the the formula formula for success going. Um, but and obviously, you're not going to see a ton of you know brand new wrinkles and things like that. It being a spring game, it being you know essentially the only game on i mean you know four o'clock is the only game on espn um especially going into that you know saturday evening you know time slot so you don't want to give away too much but um interested to see interested to see how uh mike bobo intends to use uh tight ends whether they're going to be essentially just another blocker outside of uh you know brock bowers as you can't ignore that talent but see how these other guys are being used, whether they're, you know, going to be, you know, just blocking more, you know, splitting out wide or whatever. Like it will be interesting to see the differences between the offenses from, you know, last year and then going into 2023. Yeah. So with Lawson Lucky, if you guys have listened to the show for a while, you know, I'm a big Lawson Lucky fan after watching his, uh, his high school tape. And actually today I read multiple stories about Kirby praising Lawson's um, blocking, but also his, uh, his crisp routes literally this afternoon read that. So I didn't have time to add much of it in here. Um, I think, I think seeing the ability to block and also spread out is, it's one of the biggest things I'm looking for because you can't replace Darno. Like there 
Darnell was built in a factory to play tight end. They don't make those all the time. But can you find a guy that does enough of both aspects? Or do you use multiple guys? Um, but I'm a big loss and lucky fan. So I'm hoping to see a good bit of him in both types of situations this weekend. Mm-hmm. So moving over to receiver, and we've got a ton of names to talk about here just because, you know, a few years ago it was all George can't recruit receivers, and now there's too many talented guys to get on the field. So have quite a few names to talk about. Um, and as we all know, A.D. Mitchell moved closer to family and is currently playing in Austin, Texas this season. Kiaris moving on to the NFL. So there's at least two spots open for these new guys and probably 10 names that could fill these spots. So we've got the guys that have obviously been in the rotation for years, with that being Arian Smith, Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint, Jackson Meeks, Dylan Bell, Cole Spears, a name that I heard a lot about last spring, and he ended up redshirting. Um, and then you've got big-time transfers, Rob Ra Thomas, Dominic Lovett, and then the true freshman coming in, being Tyler Williams, Yazid Hayes, and Anthony Evans. And that's on top of, obviously, Vlad McConkey still being a starter this season. Um, so which guys do you think make the biggest impact in G-Day and then potentially beyond? That's an interesting question. So I really like the returning guys that we have between Rosemary Jackson. I really like Arian Smith. If he stays healthy, he could really help this offense out in terms of just lifting um, the roof off the, the secondary. It's very hard to find anyone in the country who can run with him. Um, I am really excited to see Dominic Lovett and Ra Ra Thomas. Both of them had decent games against Georgia last year, but both of them had incredible seasons overall. Um, and I think that both of them played in offenses where they were having to do more than their fair share of the heavy lifting. And that's just not the way that Georgia's offense is designed. We have a lot of complementary pieces. And I think even having guys like Bowers and Delp will really open things up for the receivers. So I think those two transfer receivers have the opportunity to really tear it up, make a name for themselves, help the team and go on to get drafted really highly. Yeah. The big thing I want to see, you know, just coming out of, of Saturday, it's just, I want these guys to be healthy. Arian, we, you know, we've talked about it before, but Arian Smith has is, is struggled to stay on the field, but obviously when he's healthy, he is a big time player. Like you talked about uh, Marcus throws Mary Jack Saint. I'm thrilled that he came back. I know there was, you know, talk of him, you know, potentially leaving, but um, you know, we were all, especially in the group chat, super excited to have him come back. Uh, Dylan Bell. Um, I mean, again, I want to see him more because he had, he had moments out there uh, uh, last year. Um, but, but again, the biggest thing is just going back to what I said with the tight end room is just seeing how uh, Bobo is going to, you know, not comparing to what you know he was, you know, in his previous stint with uh, with uh, with Georgia, but just seeing how you know the different formations and just seeing how they're going to use all these new toys. I mean, like you said, Ra Ra uh, Ra Ra Thomas and Dominic Lovett, you know, what are they going to bring to the table? Like you said, they, you know you know, had a shoulder much more of a burden, but, you know, we could spread the wealth a lot, a lot easier in Athens than they did at their previous, uh, at pre- their previous schools. Yeah. So the biggest thing that I see in this list of names is that, you know, for the first time in what seems like a very long time at the university of Georgia, if a guy goes down, you're not 
limited in the offense. So, like, if Arian Smith goes down, Yazid Hayes ran a faster 100 meter in high school and track than Arian Smith did. Very similar stature, guys. If your say Rob Ra goes down, Marcus Rosemey Jack Saint goes down, one of those taller, big bodied receivers, you know, Tyler Williams may be a freshman, but he's six foot five, 200 pounds. He can go up and get the ball just like those guys can. Um, so I, obviously, we're not wishing for injuries, but knowing that the roster is prepared in that scenario is is a lot more comforting because that way you can send guys in deep crossing routes where the safety might be coming in hard. You can do more verticals. You can do more inside. Um, I just think it opens up the possibility of more for the offense. And then, you know, as, as we talked about last week, Dominic Lovett, uh, I mean, Kirby was just gushing about how much he's picked up from the offense and how well he's done. And Rob Rod Thomas just being an insane athlete with hands that seem to not miss footballs. Um, if you're a Georgia fan and not excited about this wide receiver class, you're not paying attention because this is a room stacked with talent top to bottom and left to right. I do want to add so, one, one thing before we go on real quick. Yeah. Um, and I thought I had, I saw this. I just wanted to double check it. So Arian Smith did uh, a couple weeks ago, mentioned that he's going to concentrate more on football rather than, you know, like really splitting his time between track and football. So, I mean, that could be, could be a good sign because I'm because it seemed like um not not blaming you know injuries on you know one sport or the other necessarily but um him concentrating on just football could be um a big deal for uh for him yeah no I I mean just putting all that extra strain on your on your lower extremities with all that explosive movement throughout the entire year um I think it could definitely have an impact but he sees he sees the paycheck that some of these guys like Tyreek Hill are getting, and he's like, ah, I don't know the last time I heard about a rich track star. And that's speculation <laughs> that's because that's exactly <laughs> what I would do. Both. I mean, that's the only one. So not an American for a while, at least. Yeah. Um, so moving on to running backs. And I do have – a retraction from last week when I was talking about the running backs. And I said that there were only two scholarship running backs on the team that were healthy right now. And that was a, that was just a little bit of uh, unintentional ignorance on my part because Savon Clark is still on the team and healthy. Um, And then in this room, you've also got Cash Jones who may be a walk on, but did a lot in special teams last year. And, uh, and in some of these team games that ended up being blowouts, he did really well in those spots. So this is this is one of the trickier positions to talk about that we've had just because of the injuries and obviously less running plays in G Day. Um, but what what are you guys' expectations to see from the running backs this weekend, Roger Robinson? Um, Branson Robinson, Savon Clark, and uh, and Gash Jones. Yeah, I would say this. And this may be a disappointing answer, but kind of piggybacks on what I said about Georgia becomes very pass happy on G Day. Um, I wouldn't expect any of them to have the chance to put up a lot of stats. If any of them had more than say seven carries, I'd be very surprised. 
Um, I think Edwards is a guy who doesn't have much more to prove. I mean, he had some great runs, especially down the stretch run. I think of the one run he had against Ohio State where it looked like his helmet was almost ripped off, but he kept rumbling forward for quite a long way. Um, Branson Robinson has really made a name for himself as a physical running back. He was uh, he was really running strong against TCU in that fourth quarter, and I think even they were surprised and kind of ready to get out of there by the time he was done with them. So I'm interested to see some of the – Younger, less experienced guys like Roderick Robinson, um, Savon Clark, I think they'll get an equal amount of, of carries. I think those guys, all four of those that I named, um, um, obviously Kendall Milton's hurt, but um, those guys I think will all probably get five to seven carries. Not many. Almost no one's going to have the chance to even run for 100 yards. But I think it's what do they do with those carries? How do they look? Um, are they hitting the hole well? Can they you know, break a tackle and make it an even bigger run? Because – I expect Georgia to have a strong passing game this year, which actually opens up the run. Um, you look at some of these games like against Ohio State when we would throw the ball a couple times with success and we'd hand it off. Sometimes there was just a massive hole. And so these running backs are going to have a lot of chances this fall. And I think it's going to be important, not just that they're ready to help out um, with the passing game and when these holes do open up, but in short yarded situations, it's going to be very important. I think of the game against Missouri last year, there were a lot of situations that second half when it was second and third and short, and they knew the play we were going to call and we knew the play we were going to call. And you just have to be bigger and stronger than they are and get it done. And so they're going to be called on in situations like that this fall. So I think we'll learn some about them. We'll learn a little about the depth of the team at G-Day, but um, I don't think there's going to be enough action to change much in the packing order. Yeah, kind of piggybacking off uh, what you said again, um, it's selfishly, I want to see what the Robinsons have going for them. Obviously, like, obviously Branson showed us a lot in the national championship and then in spurts uh, last year. But, you know, again, like we like we mentioned, not going to be a ton of opportunities for uh, any running to, like running back to really make a huge statement, uh, considering that, you know, we're going to talk about in a minute how um, the emphasis is probably going to be on quarterback and, and uh, you know, the passing game um, on Saturday. But I definitely looking forward to seeing how the Robinsons run um, and work and see how, um, you know, the culmination of the end of spring practice, see how that goes. Um, and hopefully Cash Jones is able to get out there, like you said, um, <laughs> see what uh, see what he uh, brings to the table as well. But um, it, as much it because of the injuries, it seems like it's more of an unknown. But we we know what Kendall Milton can bring to the table. Of course, hopefully he's healthy. Obviously, he struggled with that the last uh uh, two years or so. Um, and then Edward is obviously being dinged up kind of hurts, but, um, you know, you know what you have in the running back room, but at the same time with, you know, the guys behind those two, you really want to get a better sense. And unfortunately I don't think we're going to necessarily get that on Saturday. Yeah. So the, the thing that I want to see is if there is an emphasis on which running black running backs are blocking well in the backfield, because Kirby puts a premium on wide receivers blocking. He puts a premium on running backs blocking. And that's one of the reasons that some of these, like that is reportedly a big reason that Branson did not get more playing time last season is because he had a little bit of difficulty transitioning into the college game and picking up blitzes. Um, so I'm very interested to see if they are used in that role. And if so, 
which guys have picked up blocking the best because all the young, all the people that are healthy right now are those young guys. Um, so that's kind of what I'm hoping to see is if, if they're blocking well. All right. So next position is the one that you guys have been waiting on. It's the one that everybody talks about all the time. Quarterback. And one thing that I'm really interested in seeing with the quarterback battle on Saturday is how they split first team snaps between Carson and Brock. Or do the coaches tip their hand by having one of them play with the second team? Or do they both rotate in and out with the first team, second team? Like that, that's the kind of thing that I'm interested in seeing. Um, just because I feel like it'll give us a better perspective on where the coaches are leaning. Um but we've already talked about this position quite a bit, or I have at least, over the last couple of months. So I'll go ahead and turn this over to you guys. Yeah, I think this is exciting. This is, you know, one of the first times in a while that Georgia's had a true quarterback competition. Um, and it's interesting because people think about, well, what about 2020? But going into that, there really wasn't a competition. I mean, Jamie Newman was the guy all offseason. Mm-hmm. Um, and then – for whatever reason, went through the whole offseason and later decided he um, wasn't comfortable with with it from a COVID perspective. Um, and then he just DeJuan really Mathis, wanted to go up play in the Canadian Football League. Is I mean, you, that's can't, what I'm you can't blame him. You can't yeah, blame him. I mean, yeah. No, it was a horrendous decision for sure. I'm not sure who advised him on that. It would be one thing if he didn't practice all spring and all summer and take up all those reps and be in those physical situations, but then to change his mind on. COVID was tough. But after that, it was really Dewan Mathis that took charge. And then um, I was there at Arkansas, which was a, a fun atmosphere um, when Stetson came in and took over. But it's been a long time since we've had a quarterback battle in the offseason. Um, Georgia's really had such stability at that position year after year. that I, the, the last time that we had a quarterback true battle was really Kirby's first year. It was 2016. It was figuring out um, Grayson Lambert and Jacob Eason. And I think everyone knew the way that battle was going to go later in the season, but we didn't know what would happen in the opener that year. So this is exciting. We haven't really seen this in a while. Um, and I'm interested to see as well how Kirby splits up the reps, but also how the how the players do. Um, I know that whatever the stats show at the end of the scrimmage for G-Day, Kirby is going to probably defend whoever did not play as well and probably say whoever played the best has some things to work on because he's he's fantastic at managing that and never letting anyone get too high or too low. But I'm interested to see how they perform. I think there'll be a bit of a quarterback merry-go-round between Carson, Brock, and Gunner. Um, I think they're going to get each of them probably about an equal amount of snaps and probably about an equal amount of pass attempts. Um, and it, it's going to be interesting because this is one of the first and only public times that we'll get to see these guys before the first game. Um, there's going to be – a lot of kind of back and forth in the media, hyping up one guy or another um, during you know fall practice. And there's been some of that in spring practice, but we really don't know until that first game. And I actually would not be surprised at all if Kirby doesn't let the media and the opponent know until that opening game. Um, I know we don't exactly have a marquee opener like um, Clemson or Oregon this year, but I think he just plays everything so close to the vest that he may even tell the team and just not tell anyone else publicly until game number one. So I think this is an incredibly exciting position battle to see what happens. And I think Kirby has shown that once he makes his mind up, that is his quarterback. 
Um, you think back through times where, you know, Jake Fromm, who obviously had a great 2017, ha had some bad games in 2018 and struggled for more than a month in 2019. And there was never a thought to put Justin Fields on, on there as a starter. Um, it, it, at times, Stetson struggled. I know that was probably given more attention than it should have. But, you know, he had um, both years played really bad games against Kentucky. Um, he struggled a lot in the SEC championship against Bama and the year before that against Bama. And there was never really a thought to, to change him out. And so whoever Kirby trots out there as a starter, I, I think that's going to be the guy from then on. But I think there'll be a lot of back and forth on this leading up to the start of the season. Definitely. We, and we've talked about it before too. Um, Kirby, Kirby and the staff is that have definitely earned the benefit of the doubt. Um, I, I don't think there's necessarily a wrong decision by any means. Um, I'm and I think Wes and, and John talked about this last week. Um, but I would, whatever like side you're on, if you're, if you're a Brock guy or um, a Carson guy, regardless of how they play, like you're going to find, they can cherry pick stats and kind of, you know, make your case for whoever it is. I'm not really partial to either one. I, I'm going to be thrilled with whoever uh, wins the job. And I can see, and like I said, I think John and Wes talked about this last week, uh, see potentially Kirby, um, you know, maybe starting one, you know, week one and starting the other week two and kind of just that being the final decision. Like I wouldn't be shocked at all if um, we we don't have a like solidified like decision until the South Carolina game. Because, I mean, we do have two weeks to kind of play with to figure it out. And then even after that, I mean, it's a few more weeks until um, until uh, Auburn um, after that. So um, it'll be interesting, interesting to see. But again, I'm going to be I'll be thrilled with whoever, um, you know, comes out on top. If we, you know, have a good, a better, a good idea at the end of the game, uh, a scrimmage on Saturday, you know, it remains to be seen. But, um, you know, we'll I, I can definitely see this going into you know, the first like third of the season, if, if nothing's, uh, nothing's solidified. Yeah, I could see that too. Whoever um, does end up being a quarterback, they're going to have all the time in the world to get to know this offense. Um, because as has been talked about and will be a lot um, leading up and during the season, Georgia's schedule is a lot more soft than it typically is. Um, you will remove the away game at Oklahoma because SEC made Georgia do that. And that changed the complexion of the non-conference schedule. And then um, getting Ole Miss as our West opponent. And Auburn typically adds to our strength of schedule, but they're in um, a lull the last few years. So Georgia is not going to likely face a ranked team until game 10 or 11 this year, either at home against Ole Miss, if, if Kiffin has them in a, another good season or at Tennessee. Um, that those are my thoughts. I think we'll face other good teams before then, but early in the season, Auburn is probably not going to have the benefit of the doubt in the top 25. Maybe Kentucky will. Um, I think Florida is still very much going to be in rebuild mode. I, I don't know if they're going to go out to Utah and get that win this time. And it, it's tough when you get behind the eight ball before SEC play. And so I think it could be quite a while before Georgia needs a quarterback to help us win a game. Um, I, you know, looking at that schedule, the first few months of it, whether a team's in the top 25 or not, those are probably three or four score wins, no matter which of those three are quarterback. But the thing is, towards the end of the season, we will absolutely need great quarterback play to continue to win. Um, whether it's a, a hungry LSU team or whether Bama comes out on top in the West, or if it's some surprise and 
maybe um, you know A and M keeps the season together, or, or Kiffin makes another run like he has, but just finishes a little stronger. It's going to be someone good coming out of the SEC West, and then once you get to the playoff, you know typically those are are very talented teams. And the TCU game aside, those are usually you know physical teams that can it can really give you a run for the money and, and quarterback play is what puts that over the top. And so I think that it's going to be very important to get that right. And whoever it is, they're going to have a long time to improve, but we will need them coming into the season. Yeah. One, one thing I'll add uh, uh, back to it. It's like with the, uh, the spring game rules, um, you know, one of the the things that, uh, that uh, Brock brings to the, the table is obviously his mobility and we're not really going to get a clear you know, picture of that because obviously they're going to have, uh, you know, the non-contact jerseys on. So you're not going to get the full picture until, you know, they really, you know, are really threatened with being hit, um, you know, probably into, you know, into that with Carson obviously having the most experience out of anybody. Um, you would think that it would be his job that he'll feel the most comfortable and probably perform the best, but um, it, you know, it, you're not going to be able to see like the full, uh, uh, Brock picture because of the non-contact uh, jersey that I'll have on. Yeah, yeah. So with with the quarterback situation, I'm. I said it last week. With everything that I've read, I'm still going to say Carson one A, Brock one B, and then probably Gunner at. Three. Are either of you willing to handicap it as far as something similar to what I just did? Yeah, no. I think for now, the if they're close, I think the tie goes to the guy who has more experience, which is Carson Beck, um, both in game reps and in years through the system. You know, he's played with a lot of different great Georgia quarterbacks um, and gotten to learn from them. And, and they obviously have different styles of playing that position, different leadership styles. Um, I think he probably learned a good bit from um, JT Daniels um, in terms of, you know, it was obviously a tough situation, but in terms of being a good leader and being a good teammate, um, he, JT Daniels didn't really become much of a distraction at all down the stretch of the 2021 season. And um, I know there was some back and forth between like his, maybe his family doctor and then the team doctor, but regardless, he didn't become a distraction. So I think he learned how to be a great teammate um, and a leader there. And so, yeah, for now, I think it's it, Carson has a slight advantage. Now I think it'll play itself out. If, if he gets outplayed, you know, for a long stretch, then they'll likely turn it over to Brock. But for now, Carson's the one, in my opinion, until this continues to play out. And I think spring ball was always going to be a bit of a help in determining that, but it's really fall camp. You have so many more practices, um, by then, you know, anyone who's healthy is out there. Sometimes in spring ball, you've got guys where they may be a little banged up and they could play a little, but it's probably better to sit them out. Like I remember Bowers last year had already established himself so well and, and didn't really have anything to prove in spring ball. So I think this battle will continue on to fall camp, but I think leaving G-Day that Carson will be the number one guy by a little bit. One other thing to note too, um, just kind of what I've been reading the last few days, a lot of the the guys that have that have left or were on the team last year have been banging the drum for Carson. Like they're saying like, he's like, he's that guy. Um, so, you know, we can take that for what it's worth, but you know, that, that may, you know, give us a little bit more insight into it. All right. 
this one's not on this one's not on the outline, but I do have a question for Candler. You were talking about a weak not weak non-conference schedule, but last season Tennessee fans told us that Ball State was one of the best teams in the country. I'm I'm so confused. Is Ball State not good? No, well, I'll say this. The reason that Tennessee got a lot of respect had absolutely nothing to do with their non-conference schedule last year because they they squeaked out an overtime win against an average pit team. Um, but yes, no, did. it was because it was because of you know, Tennessee turned a few heads when they finally beat Florida because they don't do that often at all. But everyone kind of knew that was an up and down Florida team. They'd already lost to Kentucky. They already should have lost to USF, but um, somehow that team forgot how to snap a football properly on the last few plays of that game. Um, but no, Tennessee turned all the heads when they went into a decently hot LSU team and just destroyed them. I mean, tore them limb for limb. And that was LSU's last loss for quite a while until, you know, the A&M game at the tail end of the season. And then they beat Bama, which is, you know, one of the ultimate resume boosters. So yeah, Tennessee got their respect inside the SEC, definitely not outside the next year. I don't think that Georgia's weak non-conference schedule is going to be much of a factor. Um, I think that if, if Georgia is close in the playoff rankings resume wise with anyone else, the tie is going to go to the team that just won the last two titles and has proven themselves um, so I don't think Georgia will have any issues with that. But if Georgia were to, let's say, take a loss and and not have a conference championship going into the playoff, it would at least be, you know, we'd have to look at who are the other contenders and what did they do. So I think it's important that Georgia looks strong, um, important we win the SEC again. And and after we beat some of these teams, hope they go, go on to do something good. Like maybe South Carolina could make a run and Spencer Rattler can finally turn the corner or maybe Kentucky can get back to where they've been a few years or, or Tennessee or Ole Miss at some meat to the bone of the schedule. One or two of those teams will end up being good, but I, I think it'll help when you can, it doesn't take a lot, but on these resume arguments, if you have two good wins to hang your hat on, that typically puts you at the top of that. And so Tennessee had that last year and they had a couple other decent wins, but it, it was really those two wins that there were all the meat of their you know, resume. Yeah, I'll I say mean, there usually, were some Tennessee fans that were telling me that Ball State was one of the best teams in the country. So I was just confused. <laughs> I was gonna say I, I'll I'll say that you know usually like when we're like looking at the preseason schedule, um, you know we'll you know obviously you know like every fan does like win 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 and like you know determine like how close these games are gonna be. But you know every year there's usually a team or two that you know obviously far exceeds expectations. Obviously on Georgia's schedule that was Tennessee last year like nobody envisioned mm-hmm. them I mean even though it was only for like 15 minutes nobody envisioned, envisioned them being like the number one team in the country um yeah. at all so like I mean you know Auburn could you know be better than what we think even though I don't think any of us here are really fearful of that um so I mean you know some non-conference games again are probably aren't going to be you know you know too much to worry about but you know there might there may be an SEC team or two in there that are you know ranked going into you know the game with Georgia that we you know don't foresee coming yeah and I I look forward to that when it happens I think those can be exciting I mean some of these matchups like I think of um 2021 who would have thought Georgia Arkansas and Georgia Kentucky would both be game day I mean those matchups it was basically the two weeks leading up to it it was like wow this team's way better than we thought they were Mm -hmm. um so I would love to have a fun matchup like that or like you mentioned Mike Georgia Tennessee became the regular season game of the year, maybe yeah. only 
rivaled, or you could you could argue Ohio State Michigan was about the same. Mm-hmm. Um, one versus two, or well, that was two versus three, whereas Georgia was one versus two. But yeah. either way, um, both big games between undefeated teams late in the season. Um, but we we will need a couple teams, or it'll help us if you don't go undefeated. You need a couple teams um, that you can kind of hang your hat on resume wise. And I'm also interested to see what is the um, kind of the psychology of the college football playoff committee, because even though I think they do a better job than the BCS computers did with some of those weird computer poll rankings, there's still a group of humans that have shown a lot of inconsistency over the years. You look at last year and I know um, Bama was, was crying and screaming that they wanted to be in the playoff and you know, looking at the playoff committee's criteria, what they put down, what they judge teams on, Bama was number seven going into the last poll. They were not number five. Um, you look at Tennessee had head-to-head over them, and they look at um, record against common opponents. Tennessee had that win over LSU, who Bama had obviously lost to. And mm-hmm. so that the playoff committee can say they consider injuries. Injuries don't outweigh those two aspects of it at all. And then you look at another team with a similar resume to Bama, um, Clemson. Both those teams had two losses. Both their losses were to top 20 teams. Um, Clemson had two wins over top 20 teams as well, um, which was one more than Bama had. And then one of the factors is, did you win your conference? That answer was yes for Clemson. So they should have been ahead of Bama too. And so I I think that if anything, it may help Georgia. There may be pro-Georgia bias on the minds of people and just say if anything's close, they're going to think of who were the last two teams that we saw pictures of holding the championship trophy. Um, but each year can be a bit different. There are members of that committee that fall off and come back on each year. And so it'll be interesting to see how they rank teams, how they view different schedules. Um, you'll see them do funky things like rank two teams with equal schedules um, and, and they'll put the one that lost the game above the one that won the game. So I'm interested to see how that goes. And and thankfully, this will be the last year. This is that big of a factor because next year we'll be arguing about who's number 12 versus who's number 13 instead of who's four versus five. Mm -hmm. And which six teams Texas and Oklahoma are losing to in the SEC. Yeah, that I think that'll be a a rude awakening for a while. Those those two remind me of maybe a South Carolina or something. They're dangerous enough. They can pull off an upset. Um, but they could very well just get run off the field by a, a terrible Florida team or, or slip up and lose to Vandy or Kentucky or something. So that'll be quite a journey that, um, that they go on the next year, especially because both of them, have, especially Texas, has struggled so mightily in the Big 12. I don't see the SEC being easier. Yeah, and one team specifically that I have an eye on as much as possible that Georgia is playing Ole Miss, mm-hmm. they're 31st in the country in returning production. A lot of that is on the defensive side of the ball. And they did what they did last year with Jackson Dart. And now they have Spencer Sanders. And I'm going to go ahead and say Spencer Sanders is going to be their starting quarterback unless there's an injury. And Spencer Sanders is a guy that in the Big 12, I understand it's a Big 12, had multiple games where he passed for four touchdowns and ran for two. He is a, an extremely dynamic elite athlete. So that is a game that I am very much looking forward to. And I think Ole Miss could legitimately be a top 10 team coming into that game in Athens. Um, yeah, that's possible. I mean, it'll be interesting to see kind of how, how they hold it together. 
Um, they've, they've had strong starts really both years under Lane Kiffin. And, um, you know, last year, I think went finished one of five in their last six games. So um, I'm interested to see how they do as well. I think they've got the pieces there to succeed. Um, but how do they perform at Alabama? I mean, that's week four. That'll tell you a lot. And then the next week's LSU. Then it doesn't get a lot easier. They have Arkansas. And so I could see it being either way. I could see them having four losses coming into Athens. I could see them maybe being, um, you know, seven and two or something like that and uh, off to a strong season. So they, they've got a tough schedule. We will know, you know, just exactly how tough they are by the time they get to Athens. I'm interested to see. An often overlooked early game for Ole Miss and how they're going to perform this season is Tulane. Tulane mm-hmm. beat USC. They are top 30 in the country in returning production, including their quarterback and their running back, which were their workhorses last year. And Ole Miss goes to New Orleans in week two. That will be a tough one. Yeah, tougher than expected. And then so, the Georgia Tech game, we'll learn more probably from the two-lane game than we will the Georgia Tech game just with where those two programs are right now. Yeah. I believe so. I, um, but I the Bama game, that. I think the Bama game will be a great measuring stick. You know, can can Kiffin finally get over the top and get a win against his mentor? Um, he really gave him a good run for the money both of the last two years. And But, you know, it's as we've seen a lot, you know, Bama's made a habit of playing people close, but it's very different to play Bama close and to actually beat them. And so um, it'll be interesting to see can Ole Miss get over the top. If they manage to start off 4-0, then yes, we're talking, they're going to be all the hype, um, maybe top five teams, top 10 coming into Athens. Um, one of the things that Candler brought up uh, earlier that that kind of got me thinking about something else about the uh, playoff committee and like the changes to it, because, um, you know, like he said, some people drop off um, and they add obviously new ones. Um, just, you know, this may or may not be anything, but I don't know who who was on it different from last year. I mean, I, I could pull it up, I guess, but um athletic director wise athletic director from navy nc state michigan and uh kansas state are all on the committee and then there's some other ones that like associate professors and things like that at at non you know fbs uh school so you can take for uh take that you know what you will so michigan yeah, starts be interesting. season is number one yeah of course yeah. yes first first playoff down if it came down to like Ohio state and another team in a, a close ranking, I'd be interested to hear what the um, Michigan AD's thoughts are. on that. Yeah. Ward manual. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, he's a Michigan man, uh, you know, full and through, uh, you know, full on. So like, it, I think he has to absolve himself if it's like a direct, like a, a potentially a conflict of interest. Like I, like from the debate, I think, but I'm sure, I know sure they do. Okay, I know for a fact they do if it's their own team being debated. I didn't know where they draw the line versus a rival versus, you know, for Georgia and Alabama, they could say, well, they're technically not rivals. They play a lot, or they don't play yeah. every year. That's interesting. It, and it, and I may I may be wrong about that. Um, but I think they probably reserve the right to say, you know, I I I can't be unbiased in my decision making because, I mean, you know, the Michigan AD probably could put aside the Ohio State rivalry as painful as it would be. Uh, to get the Big Ten, if you know, like last year, if there's an instance where we can get two Big Ten teams in the in the CFP, you'd probably do that for the betterment of the conference rather than just like you know to spite your your rival. But I mean, yeah, I would be, I would think that he'd be able to like 
if he was if he was impartial and really wanted to do like the best thing for it and, and and he thinks that he couldn't be impartial for it he would step aside at least for the debate of like a second big 10 team if that were to uh to come up but i'm not sure how that would go i'd have to look into that more but that's that's something to you know keep in mind yeah in and i mind, thought uh, uh, speaking of that last year it was interesting to see i i was a bit surprised Ohio State wasn't the three seed and TCU wasn't the four seed, given that yeah. TCU lost their conference championship. And so Ohio State had a better strength of schedule. They they had a few wins over current top 25 teams more than TCU did. They both didn't win their conference. But I think a bit of the psychology came into it that if Ohio State and Michigan were to play each other, that people wanted that to be the national championship and not yeah. a semifinal. And so mm-hmm. I don't think that's what the resume should have had them ranked, but that's how the committee ended up ranking them. Oh, yeah. I could definitely, yeah, I could definitely no, see I, that. Sorry, one thing that I am excited for about the 12 team playoff is that there's not going to be any more debate over, oh, well, we don't want teams playing each other again in the first round because there's 12 teams. You might not be able to get away from it. You might have teams and, play three times. You never know. Yeah. I mean, especially, you know, SEC teams play it. You could even have it during the season conference championship game and then in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's entirely possible. Oh, yeah. All right. Before we get out of here, Candler, I want to ask, do you have anything that you want to plug? I know you've been doing some autograph stuff up at, um, where was it? Cartersville, Calhoun? Chatsworth. Yeah, J&W Sports. Oh, Chatsworth. Yeah, I get a lot of my UGA memorabilia from there. They've got a, a big selection of national championship gear. Um, so if, if you're ever up that way, it's, it's a good place. They, um, Wes Odell is the guy who owns it. Nate Lee helps him out with some of the autograph signings. But um, they rotate a bunch of teams through there, but they're big on the dogs, and they've, they've got a bunch of gear for it. Um, but, yeah, so if anyone has a chance to go up there, it's a great store. Um, they have more than just gear. They have, like you know, Yeti tumblers. they got car flags. They have books, all kinds of stuff. All right. Well, we want to thank you for coming on and talking to us again. And if if you're interested, you're always welcome to uh, to post any of the upcoming autograph book signing, anything like that in the podcast group. Get the word out. Um, but I think it's going to do it for us tonight. As always, the Instagram is at nothing.finer.pod. The Twitter is at finerpod. For Facebook and YouTube, just search us. I've been having problems uploading videos to YouTube, but I'm working on getting that fixed. Um, the website is still up as of today, and that is nothingfinerpod.com if you want any of our t-shirts, koozies, stickers, anything like that. And y'all have anything else? That's it. I'm excited for G-Day, um, even though, like we mentioned, it's, it's kind of a, a scrimmage light scenario. It's just the closest we're going to get to football for many months. So I think it'll be fun to watch. That's great that Georgia has their own um, quote unquote primetime slot. We'll call it that because G-Day games are <laughs> never at night. Nobody spring games at night. But um, I think it'll be fun. I think it's going to be a fun offseason. Um, it's interesting that the pressure on the team will change because last year, you know, some people are saying, is Georgia the next one hit wonder? Are they going to be an Auburn or an LSU that has one national championship season or close to it, and then just falls off the face of the earth and doesn't make a bowl the last year. And that that had a resounding answer to it. So now people are going to be talking about the three-peat. And I think that's going to be a storyline about all year long. So I think Georgia, regardless of how the season ends, 
is going to be in that playoff chase all year. So I think it's a narrative we're going to hear quite a lot of. I'll I'll say it too. Um, If you haven't bought Cameron's book, do it. One last little plug. (laughs) Thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. All right, guys, whoever wants to take this last part can join in with me. But always remember, there is nothing finer in the land. Candler. And a drunk, obnoxious Georgia fan. Third and a mile. Duggan from the two will throw it all the way across the field. It's picked up by Bullardy. Bullard got it again. And Bennett to throw. Lobs it to the right corner. There's McConkey. He got on his donkey and made a sliding catch in the right corner. Touchdown.